Hello, I'm Noel Lim on ASEAN Speaks by Maybank. We kick off our conversation if the US dollar will end its dominance by the end of this decade. We also make sense of the economic data that was released in China, Malaysia and Singapore and beneficiaries of Chinese tourists visiting ASEAN. Chua Hak Bin, co-head of Macro, moderates the call. Hey, hi, morning. Seventy-day Pro. Uh, just a quick recap of the markets last week. Um, down on Friday, but actually markets were in the green last week. Stock 600 up 1.7%, and most Asian markets followed suit, all slightly higher. Markets were hopeful that inflation pressures are starting to ease and that interest rates could be uh, peaking soon. The Singapore MAS last week also joined a number of other central banks, which have decided to pause and not tighten monetary policy any further. First quarter GDP growth underwhelmed and showed that the slowdown was deeper than expected. Uh, the dollar fell slightly last week. Crude oil prices rose 1.5%, gold slipped. US 10-year treasuries rose by about 12 bips over the week to 3.5%. Um, so I guess US data, uh, a few banks, JP Morgan City, that delivered a strong set start to the earnings seasons, reuniting soft landing calls. And uh, a large parts of Wall Street still remain confident that the economy could fall into a recession. Uh, but Fed rate cuts now later in the year have increased and that, that's kept the dollar under pressure. I think for this week, they'll be looking at the regional Fed surveys and uh, some housing readings to show whether the US economy is stabilizing and the flash PMIs for the manufacturing, whether it remains stuck in contraction and, and, um, and signs for the services sector, whether it's um, also softening. Um, key US earnings results will be coming up from Abbott Laboratories, American Express, Bank America, Charles Schwab, China Telecom, IBM, Netflix, Procter Gamble, TSMC and Tesla. In the euro zone, uh, the euro has been rallying against the dollar. Our expectations that the ECB could deliver a lot more tightening than the Fed going forward. Uh, investors will be paying close attention to ECB President Lagarde's comments on Friday and on, on, on Monday. Uh, on Friday, the Eurozone April flash PMI readings will be closely watched as they could reflect some of the banking turmoil that has hit the region. They're expected to show manufacturing activity improving while services sector softening. Lots of uh, data and the spotlight will be on China this week. China will, uh, it will start with a one-year policy rate, rate, which expected to remain unchanged, paving the way for commercial banks to keep their prime lending rates steady. The biggest release of the week is first quarter GDP, and there could be signs of a major recovery as China reopens. Uh, we'll get some comments from Brian later. In addition, um, markets will be dissecting, dissecting some of the China data on industrial output, investment, retail sales as well. Um, so we have um, quite a few speakers on a call. Uh, just Baron Bank Indonesia will be holding its April policy meeting this week as well. Juye and Consensus is expecting Bank Indonesia to hold the policy rate unchanged at 5.75%. Um, let's kick off with uh, Suhaimi. Suhaimi, your thematic report questions whether the US dollar can secure its global dominance in trade and FX settlement and foreign reserve holdings, especially in an increasingly fragmented world where you know, since the Ukraine war, the dollar has been used as a weapon as part of sanctions against uh, Russia. Brazil President Lula recently called on developing countries to work towards replacing the US dollar with their own currencies in international trade, lending his voice to China's efforts to end the greenback's dominance of global trade. I thought it was also interesting that President Jokowi urged firms in the country to wean themselves off foreign payment networks like 
MasterCard and Visa to shield from any geopolitical fallout. So what's your sense of the underlying trends in terms of the dominance of the US dollar and its share of transactions? Will the US really lose its dominance by the end of this decade? Hi, morning. Uh, have been in morning, everyone. Um, I think just to start off and I guess set things in context, um, dollar dominance is typically showcased by the almost 60% share of dollar in the world's external reserve. Um, and dollars um, lion's share of world external reserve, I think reflect its role as the world's currency by fulfilling the functions as store value, unit of account and medium of exchange on a global scale. Hence its uh, dominance in things like trade and export, invoicing, international payment system, uh, global financial and banking transaction, as well as um, FX uh, trading. But there are discernible dilution in US uh, dominance within the last two decades. Um, for example, in the report, figure 10 shows uh, actually US shares of uh, world external reserve have declined from the peak of 73% in second quarter 2001 to 58.4% at the end of last year. Uh, figure 11 shows uh, total foreign holdings of US treasuries have fallen to around one-third of uh, amount of US treasuries out there in current decade versus the high of 56.5% back in 2008. And figure 12 in the report shows the value of um, foreign central banks holding of US Treasury have actually stagnated last 10 years at around $4 trillion. And figure 13 shows the shares of uh, US Treasury in foreign central banks holdings of advanced economies government bonds peak in 2015 at 62%. And as of last year, it's down to 51% a share. I, I think as to your question about where or what would happen to dollar dominance going forward, um, I mean, realistically, dollar is not going to wither and die, uh, but we kind of expect there to be a gradual longer-term rebalancing in the currency mix within the world's external reserve. Um, referring to figure 22 of uh, this report, um, currently, if we look at, uh, I guess, the three main protagonists in terms of um, major global currencies and aspiring major global currencies, dollar, euro, and yuan, their shares of uh, global external reserve right now are 58.4%, 20.5%, and 2.7% respectively. What could happen, I guess, within the next decade is a shift to potentially be more reflective of and align to, for example, the ratios of these currencies in the IMF special drawing rights or FDR, SDR, where dollar, euro, and yuan shares are 43%, 29%, and 12%, uh, respectively. So, Swami, if not, if not the US dollar, what other currencies or asset class can substitute and become an alternative to the dollar? Well, I guess immediately attention would be on Yuan. Uh, I think one of the 
reason for that is of course China's own push post GFC to increase the internet internationalization of yuan and i guess one significant development recently was the announcement by shanghai petroleum and natural gas exchange on the first trade in yuan for lng that was sourced from uae uh, but traded between china's national offshore oil corporation and france uh, total energies so the trade is seen as potentially making a major step and significant push <clears throat> to challenge the petrodollar status quo uh, with the alternative, in this case, uh, <clears throat> petro yuan. But the prospect of, uh, I guess, greater global role for yuan require China to address the issue of yuan convertibility by liberalizing its capital market, uh, opening up its capital account for uh, greater capital flows to promote yuan as option and alternative to dollar because why dollar is still dominant now is due to the current breadth, depth, and liquidity of dollar and dollar-denominated assets, which is the product of the openness of U.S. market capital account and flows. So I guess uh, effort to boost yuan usage by China uh, has been kind of constrained by China's capital control and market interventions, which kind of curb yuan usability at global stage. Um, at the same time, I think looking at the foreign central bank's holdings of government bonds worldwide, um, the government bonds of Eurozone, Japan, Canada, Australia, UK, and even smaller advanced economies like New Zealand and South Korea have generally been trending up, suggesting diversifications in global central banks' holding of uh, sovereign banks, sovereign bonds, and thus currencies in the external reserve. But perhaps... Uh, one asset class that is benefiting from the debate and speculation about dollar dominant is gold. Um, global gold demand rose 18% last year to 11-year high of 4,742 tons, underpinned by the 152% surge in central banks' gold purchases, uh, accounting for nearly a quarter of last year's total global gold purchases as well as being the largest annual buying of gold by central banks since 1967. And the compounded annual growth rate of central banks' gold demand for the period 2010 to 2022 was 25% per annum, uh, primarily driven by Russia and China central banks' purchases. And that compared with just 1% per annum growth in total global gold demand. Very interesting. So I'm just to move now to Malaysia your monthly GDP tracker for February. Did the growth improve after the soft patch in January? Yeah, in, in the month of February, uh, we saw firmer year-on-year -year growth in industrial production index that cover the output of manufacturing, mining, and electricity, 3.6% uh, in February, up from 1.8% in January. The distributive trade index that cover activities in wholesale, retail, and motor vehicle sales uh, accelerated to 10.6% versus January's 8.5%, while CPO output growth momentum was sustained uh, at 10% in February, same as January. So in putting these indicators into our monthly GDP tracker, we estimated monthly GDP for Malaysia in February grew 6.2% year-on-year. Uh, up from 4.3% year-on-year in January. Uh, for the two months of this year, growth was 5.3%. So that's actually down 
from 7% uh, year on year uh, in fourth quarter of last year. Uh, so I guess the trend is in a way consistent with first quarter numbers that are out recently for Vietnam and, and Singapore. Uh, just to recap, our full year real GDP growth forecast for Malaysia is 4%. That's down from 8.7% last year. Interesting that Malaysia's uh, growth seems to be a lot more resilient than uh, Singapore. Could be, uh, I suppose, maybe the timing of reopening. Yeah, thanks, Amy. Brian, uh, on China, so I think uh, I think most was ex were expecting China's exports to also contract in March, but actually surprised on the upside. So what's driving the China export surge, and will it last? Yep, morning, Hopin. Morning, everyone. Yep, so uh, indeed, uh, exports in March put their best growth since uh, July 2022. Specifically, um, in USD terms, exports soared 15% from a year ago. Uh, which was uh, really a turnaround from the 7% contraction in January to February. So the robust growth could be reflective of uh, you know, improving factory operations in China and supply chain conditions as the economy uh, normalizes from its zero-COVID paralysis. Um, across uh, products, growth was rather broad-based across a wide spectrum of products and uh, fueled by strong exports to ASEAN and South Korea, which uh, actually helped to cushion uh, still declining exports to the U.S., uh, however, we remain cautious on export growth uh, for the rest of this year, expecting full-year growth to be only mildly positive on average. Uh, we think the external outlook remains very cloudy given the rising risk of US recession, uh, especially with the tighter credit conditions after the banking turmoil and uh, the fact uh, that the fact the China Customs Administration uh, in its uh, announcement of the um, March exports also warned that uh, sluggish external demand and geopolitical factors continue to pose challenges to exports. So Brian, how are China's exports and imports too on you know ASEAN? Should we be confident that China's reopening would strengthen imports from ASEAN further in the second quarter? Yeah, um so yeah, exports to ASEAN uh did uh, on a year-on-year -year basis, uh, and that was uh, much stronger than the 8% growth over January to February. Um, in terms of the breakdown, exports to all ASEAN countries were in the double-digit ranges, at, led by Singapore and Vietnam. Uh, in contrast, imports from ASEAN uh, declined 2% in March from a year ago, uh, although this is less than the 8% contraction in the two months of the year. Um, the imports from all ASEAN countries except uh, Indonesia were in the red. Uh, so in the second quarter, we should see further firming of uh, China's domestic demand as the labor market, consumer and business sentiment um, continue to improve. Uh, improved spending appetite in China could support uh, exports uh, uh, from ASEAN. Uh, nonetheless, there are two factors of uncertainty. The first is that consumer spending uh, so far has been skewed towards domestic services, given high pent-up demand for entertainment, restaurants, holidays, and so on. Uh, if consumption continues to be services-centric, it might limit the gains to goods imports uh, from the region, uh, including ASEAN, of course. Uh, the second factor is that um, we exports may uh, crimp uh, Chinese manufacturers' demand for intermediate components as long as uh, external demand uh, from the US, uh, Western countries and so on remains weak. And this could constrain the demand uh, of Chinese manufacturers for industrial imports from the region. Lastly, just quickly, uh, first quarter GDP for China is out this week. What are your expectations? 
Sure. Um. Yeah. So. Uh. Yeah. We are our forecast. Uh. For the first quarter, real GDP growth stands at four point four percent on a year ago basis. Uh. With uh growth likely led by services due to pent up consumer spending. Uh. As you can see from all the high high frequency indicators we've been looking at, like uh, services PMI and uh, retail sales for the first two months of the year and so on. While manufacturing probably will also firm on normalizing uh, supply chain conditions. Okay, thanks, Brian. Um, Jue, on Singapore, any are surprised they maintain their monetary policy settings? So what prompted that decision? Good morning, everyone. Yep. So the MAS uh, maintained its policy setting, uh, contrary to our expectations of a uh, recentering of the band. Uh, concerns of a growth slowdown seems to be outweighing uh, inflation, despite uh, elevated core inflation in recent months. It came in at 5.5% in the first two months of the year. Uh, advanced 1Q GDP growth, which was also announced last Friday, came in at just 0.1% on a year-on-year basis, compared to 2.1% in the fourth quarter, and also contracted by 0.7% on a quarter-on-quarter seasonally adjusted basis. That's the first decline since the second quarter of last year. Uh, MAS cautioned that Singapore's growth outlook has dimmed as the drag on global investment and manufacturing Factoring from tighter financial conditions will intensify in the coming quarters. And it's expecting below trend uh, pace of growth to cause the out- output gap to turn slightly negative in 2023. Uh, so with imported inflation falling and core inflation expected to slow significantly by end of this year, uh, they are looking at 2.5% for core inflation by end of this year. Uh, so the MAS has assessed that the current uh, appreciating path of the senior policy band is sufficiently tight. Uh, we are sceptical that co-inflation will fall so sharply in the second half uh, from the current 5.5%, given the persistent wage pressures from the tight labour market, as well as the expansion of the progressive wage model to larger sectors, including food services. Yeah, back to you, Abdi. So Jay, what's our revised uh, growth forecast for this year? Yeah, so we have uh, lowered our growth forecast to 0.8% from the previous 1.7% due to the weaker than expected first quarter performance and also rising downside risk to global growth from uh, tight monetary policy and advanced economies as well as uh, vulnerabilities in the financial system following the banking crisis in US and Europe. Uh, Singapore risks entering into a technical recession, uh, which is defined as two straight quarters of Q-on-Q contraction. If the boost from China's reopening fails to materialize in the second quarter, uh, our recession model is showing that probability of recession in Singapore for 12 months ahead has risen to 31% as of March, uh, based on the US Treasury spread. Uh, We are looking at MTI to also downgrade its GDP forecast range to minus 0.5 to 1.5% in May when the final 1Q GDP numbers is released. Great, thanks, Jay. Brian, you also released an update on Cambodia's economic outlook. What are the main highlights and updates? Any change to the Cambodia's GDP forecast? Yeah, um, we are maintaining our Cambodia 2023 GDP growth forecast at 5.7%, which would be an improvement from the 5.1% uh, estimated in 2022. Uh, growth in the year to date has been driven by recovering tourism. International visitors in February reached the highest since January 2020, uh, and equivalent to 73% of uh, the same month in 2019. 
that's uh, pre-pandemic levels. Uh, China visitors have been returning steadily after Chinese group tours to Cambodia uh, were allowed to resume on 7 February. We are becoming more optimistic on the recovery of Chinese visitors given Cambodia's uh, efforts to go the extra mile to welcome them. Uh, we are expecting 970,000 arrivals, which would be a nearly tenfold increase from 2022. We remain cautious on the manufacturing sector, which will be weighed down by weak exports due to the slowdown in US and Europe. Um, goods exports fell nearly 6% in the first quarter, led by garments, travel goods, footwear, and other consumer discretionary products. That said, um, industrial and agricultural exports like electrical components, uh, vegetables, and fruits are faring much better due to recent free trade agreements like uh, the RCEP and preferential tariff uh, privileges. Uh, exports to China were also a bright spot, growing 16% year-on-year in March, and that was its second uh, consecutive month of growth. Uh, downside risk to growth uh, would be a further withdrawal of uh, preferential tariff privileges from the EU under the Everything But Arms scheme, which would uh, undeniably add to export headwinds. The EU removed privileges for 20% of exports, I mean 20% of imports from Cambodia in August 2020 on human rights concerns. And uh, it is threatening further removal of privileges while it calls for the release of uh, opposition activists. Thanks, Brian. Um, Xiaoyang, nice report on ASEAN tourism and the China outbound tourism dragon. What are the key themes and trends on the China's reopening and tourism recovery? Thanks, Hakbin. So after a slow start to the year, we are starting to see a more meaningful recovery for Chinese outbound tourism to ASEAN. Our report looks specifically at Thailand, Malaysia, and Singapore. By mid this year, sea capacity from China to Singapore would have recovered to about 65% of 2019 levels, while sea capacity from China to Malaysia and Thailand would have recovered to about 45% of 2019 levels. This is a nice segue to the second half, second half of this year. Most Chinese intend to travel overseas then, during the summer holidays in July and August, and the mid-autumn festival and national day holidays, otherwise known as the Kunung Week. In terms of behavioural trends, we are seeing Chinese traveling longer and spending more. So those are our largest observations uh, so far. So which ASEAN countries and stocks will be the major winners from this reawakening of this Chinese dragon? Right, so going country by country, Malaysia, unfortunately, is not at the top of most Chinese's mind. In fact, it has fallen off the top 10 list uh, of all the surveys that we have looked at. Yet, the AAHU group from Malaysia is the most popular foreign airline in China by far due to its cheap fares. So that will go a long way in helping Malaysian tourism. For Malaysian tourism exposure, we prefer Capital A, Malaysia Airports, Pavilion Reed, and KLCCP. For Thailand, sea capacity from China has been slow to recover as not many aircraft have been returned to service yet. The two largest Thai airlines, Thai Airways and Thai Air Asia, are still rebuilding their fleet. Yet, Thailand is still the top ASEAN, if not the top global destination on most Chinese's mind. So, it is only a matter of time before Chinese outbound tourism to Thailand fully recovers. For Thai tourism exposure, we prefer Era 1 and airports of Thailand. Now, Singapore is truly the big winner here. Seek capacity from China to Singapore will be the fastest to recover to 2019 levels. Again, my mid-year seek capacity from China to Singapore should hit 65% of 2019 levels, uh, outpacing Malaysia and Thailand by about 20 percentage points. 
Not only that, Singapore is now in the top 10 preferred Chinese outbound destination list for high net worth Chinese and single Chinese women. So for Singaporean tourism exposure, we prefer Gunting Singapore, the Hospitality Trust, uh, i.e. CDL, Far East and Fraser's, and also Capital Land Integrated Commercial Trust. Well, thanks, Cheyenne. Really hope that the China Revenge Travel shows up in uh, Singapore more visibly in the second quarter. Let's bring in Rachel. Rachel, you released a Philippine Bank Strategy Report. Philippine banks delivered strong earnings growth last year. What's driving the earnings growth last year and which banks did especially well? Hi, good morning. So the consolidated 2022 earnings of the banks under coverage reached $164 billion. It's up by 17% year-on-year and ahead of our 12% year-on-year growth expectation. So this was driven by strong core business growth, both in lending, where we saw low double-digit to mid-teens growth and fees growth. So the beat was driven by the outperformance of Metro Bank and BDO, whose uh, record high earnings were 48% and 33% higher year-on-year. So BDO's outperformance was attributable to its higher-than-expected trading and FX gains and fees, while Metrobank um, was due to its stronger-than-expected corporate and commercial-led loan growth at 14% year-on-year, which is ahead of our 11% forecast. So do you think the earnings momentum will continue this year, given the headwinds from slower growth, high inflation, and central bank tightening? Mm, okay, so we expect the earnings of the banks under coverage to rise by 13% to 42% year-on-year for this year, implying a 19% year-on-year growth in the sector. So we expect this to be driven by 6 to 11% loans growth, healthy fees, and normalized provisions given the manageable NPL ratios and high NPL covers. So our slower loan growth forecast is a result of the rising rates, as you mentioned. Um, nonetheless, we expect the higher margins to make up for the slowdown in the lending. Uh, we are mindful, though, of rising funding costs. Hence, we like banks with strong deposit franchises. Remind us on your top bank picks. So uh, BDO remains to be our top buy as its scale and hybrid digital brick-and-mortar strategy puts it at the forefront, forefront of lending and the CASA growth in the recovering economy. We also like BPI as its digitalization initiatives and collaboration with GCash complements its growth and uh, generate higher fees and lower costs. So we are also optimistic on the potential of BPI's agency banking initiatives, which could be an upside to our fees growth forecast. Great. Thanks, Rachel. Um, last item, cheating. CPO prices appear to be stabilizing after the sharp drop. What's your assessment and what are some recent stockpile exports and futures pricing showing? Morning, Harbin. Uh, the March Tamil stockpile in Malaysia, uh, as announced by NPOB, was a positive surprise for the market as it was below market's expectation, boosted by high exports and a relatively low production. Now, despite longer calendar days in March compared to February, production was not up to expectation, especially in Peninsula Malaysia. That was affected by intense rainfall or flood in late uh, February or early March, especially states like Johor, Pahang and Negeri Sembilan. Meanwhile, March exports were strong as Malaysia exporters uh, continue to benefit from the export restrictions imposed by the Indonesian government since the February uh, of this year, as well as uh, Ramadan demand. Naturally, uh, CPO price reacted positively to the NPOB news, 
even more so for near-term future CPO prices. Now, this effectively steepened the futures price curve. As of last Friday, uh, first month futures CPO is at a 10% premium to third month futures CPO, which closed at uh, 3,566 per ton last Friday. Now, the steep divergation in futures price curve suggests that the market is anticipating the present tightness in supply to ease in the coming months. And hence, CPO price should be trending lower in the coming months, which, uh, that Indonesia will lift its export restrictions after Ramadan. Demand is also anticipated to slow post-Ramadan, and the market is also expecting palm oil production to be stronger uh, from April onwards, uh, easing the present tightness in supply. Do you think is China's reopening a major factor for palm oil prices and exports? And remind us on your topics. Now, China ranks as the fourth largest uh, consumer of palm oil after Indonesia, India, and Europe. Uh, it consumes about five to seven million tons of palm oil yearly, or about seven percent of uh, global palm oil consumption. It is actually an important uh, palm oil market. Uh, while China's reopening story brings hope to the market. The reality is that China has been importing lots of palm oil since the end of last year as it took advantage of the low palm oil prices back then. As a result, China has rebuilt its uh, palm oil stockpile in the second half of last year. And uh, recent uh, stockpile in China appears to be relatively high uh, compared to the past six years. So to me, the market will be keenly watching overall export figures in the coming months and not just China. And speaking of exports, the export estimates for the first 15 days of April by NSPEC, uh, an independent cargo surveyor, is not looking rosy at this point. It is showing a 34% month month decline in Malaysia's palm oil exports over the same period uh, in compared to first 15 days of March. Exports for the first 15 days of April is just about 0.5 million tonne. Now, the relatively weak export is perhaps a confirmation that CPO price is no longer as price competitive compared to six months ago. Uh, CPO price has significantly narrowed its discount to other major competing oils. Hence, we expect CPO price to stay volatile in the near term, but trend lower by mid-year on expectation of a seasonal output uh, recovery. So we continue to advocate our neutral corner sector. Our top buys in the sector remains with KLK. First resources and Bumitama Agri. Thanks, Chiteng. Uh, that's all we have uh, today. Just a reminder that next Monday we will not uh, have a call um, because of the Hari Raya Basa along weekend holiday. Thank you. Have a good weekend. Speak to your trading rep and get more insights on the upgraded Maybank Trade app. This podcast is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. I'm Noel Limonazian Speaks by Maybank. <laughs>